Can y'all see the sweat forming on my brow? I have this Sunday and two more, and I have to be finished with Deuteronomy. (laughs) The pressure is on. The party's planned, so there's no turning back. George or Maggie, but they're both buried over there. And this is how their tombstones described them. Let's move in here and start over here on the left. Reverend William Hopper Bordley was endowed with talents of a high order of exemplary piety, modest and unassuming, dignified and courteous. He commanded the love and admiration of this church. His labors in their behalf were unremitting. His work being accomplished, he was removed to his reward. Then we have Reverend John Henry Honor, was one of the founders of this church. To its welfare, he dedicated his time, talents, service, and means from devotion to God and love of his church. For nearly 50 years, he was a faithful minister of Jesus Christ, preaching the word, instant in season and out of season. Surely the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then over here, we have Reverend Daniel Davis, possessing devoted piety, ardent zeal, and commanding talents. He consecrated all to the service of the Redeemer. And having finished his course with joy, his body with his charge laid down and ceased at once to work and live. Now first let me say, y'all don't have to get one of these from me. No, really, y'all don't have to get one of these. I don't want it. Secondly, I'm sure all these people are well-deserving of all that's written on their tombstones, and I don't aim to diminish their character or their service. Thirdly, a tombstone is coming for all of us. And none of us should assume we know when, but we should think about what might be written on that tombstone. What will people observe so much in you over the course of your life that they will record it in stone? What qualities? What work? The text before us this morning should give all of us in the room some some clarity in answering that question. In fact, the text, if we allow it to, can give us the very goal for our lives. We can know now what it is that should be and hopefully will be written on our tombstones. Because without exception, our tombstones should read, Our name, Servant of the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, the 34th chapter. And when you found your place in Deuteronomy chapter 34, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Beginning in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 34, this is the word of the Lord. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again, we come humbly before your word. Lord, if it's not true now, we pray that you would make it true that we come submissively before your word and the truth of it. We come asking that through the power of your spirit that you would take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts and lives and change us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So clearly Moses had no tombstone because as we just read, Moses had no tomb, no burial place, at least not one that any human knows about. But if Moses had a tombstone and a burial place, maybe these would be the words engraved on it. Verse 5, Moses, servant of the Lord. That's it. The brevity of this very last reference To a man like Moses, before his death, perhaps is a little surprising. We expect more, so much more. More like these memorials that we read earlier this morning. But the brevity of this final description of Moses actually does us a great favor. It's very clarifying. It cuts through the volume of material that we could get lost in when we think about the life of a man like Moses. And with laser focus, it reduces the great life of this great man to what is most important. Moses was a servant of the Lord. Brief and clear. Not only for Moses' life, but for your life and mine as well. We are to be servants of the Lord. Moses served the Lord. That's the description that clings to Moses, that won't let go. In the next book, after Deuteronomy, Joshua, it's the sequel to Deuteronomy. Okay, now raise your hand if you're a little nervous that I'm going to start Joshua next. (laughs) No, not going to happen. Okay, maybe it's not going to happen. This is how Moses is described. And remember that that Moses is described this way in the book of Joshua under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Spirit of God inspired people to see Moses. This is how the Spirit inspired people to write about Moses. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 1.13, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Joshua 1.15, then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Joshua 8.30, at that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, just as Moses, the had commanded. Joshua 8.33, and all Israel... So on the opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the 
commanded. Now I could go on because there are a lot more references to Moses, the servant of the Lord in the book of Deuteronomy. Two of the times it's God speaking directly and he says or describes Moses as my servant. So, so throughout this book that records the story of God's people taking possession of and settling in the promised land, God's people are reminded that Moses, their leader, was a servant, a servant of the Lord. When they are building and establishing their kingdom, they are reminded that the human that led them out of Egypt, the human who delivered God's law to them, was a servant of the Lord. Not a king, not an emperor, not a president, but a servant of the Lord. It's important to grasp this because servant is a positional word. It instructs us how to arrange things rightly. Okay, Christmas is approaching quickly. Unbelievable, right? And I expect by this time next week, many of you will have already put up your nativity scenes in your home. Now look, you're not free to arrange that nativity scene any way you want. If that scene is to make sense, and if it's to tell the right story, the characters have to be arranged properly. If you put a camel in the manger and baby Jesus on top of the stable, and if you have the sheep standing on the star, something's wrong, right? You're telling the story wrong. Things are out of order. Something will be wrong with our... And that position is under the authority of God. That position for all of us is always submitting to Him and to His Word. Look, Moses was a powerful man. He was raised as a prince of Egypt long before the movie said so. Yet he was a servant of the Lord. Later in life, Moses had face-to-face confrontations with Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And yet he never cowered or buckled before that powerful man. Moses raised his staff and the Red Sea divided. Moses raised his arms, and as long, long as his arms were raised, the army of Israel won the battle, and as soon as the arms fell, they began to lose. Moses was a man of power, and he was aware of his power, and yet he was a servant of the Lord. Why? Simple. Because Moses saw the Lord. I can't believe what Ken prayed. I didn't tell him to, to pray that. Moses saw the Lord. More important than the face-to-face meetings that Moses had with Pharaoh were the meetings that he had together with the Lord on the mountain. That's where he met God. He, He saw God write his law with his own finger on the stone tablets. Tablets that he gave to Moses and said, Here, give these to my people. Hollow, hiding in that hollowed out part of the rock. This can reminded us. Moses watched the glory of the Lord go by. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, says that Moses Moses persevered because he saw him who was invisible. That's how a powerful man like Moses can be a servant. When you see the Lord 
when you see the Lord, you can't help but serve the Lord. Because he's too great. And he's too glorious. And he's too gracious. And he's too good not to serve. And so this is the mantra of Moses' life. I am a servant of the Lord. And that gave him direction for his life. And that title allowed Moses to arrange everything else in his life properly. Wherever else, whatever else might be true of me, I am first a servant of the Lord. This is the proper arrangement. This is God's arrangement. He accomplishes his purpose in this world through the lives of those who serve his purpose. Not through those who compete against God's purpose. And let's be honest, we can all compete against the God, God's purpose for our lives, right? We know what it's like to fight against God and His will for us. And in His sovereignty, God can use even those who oppose Him, but, but He accomplishes His purpose best through those who serve Him. And that's why we need to repeat over and over and over again, Servant of the Lord, Servant of the Lord. I am a servant of the Lord. The brevity of it, is beautiful, so easy to remember, and the clarity of it. Servant of the Lord is indispensable for us. I am a servant of the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, we are doing His will, just as any earthly servant or slave, which this word can also mean, would do. We serve the purpose and the plan of God. Now here's my hope, one of my hopes, for you and for me. I have a lot of them. But I hope you believe that the very best plan, not only for your life, but for the lives of everyone you know, resides in the heart and the mind of God. The very best plan for your life resides in the heart and the mind of God. And should you wonder about that plan? Is it a good plan? Scripture describes it this way. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So never doubt, no matter what's happening in your life, that the purpose and plan of God that you are to serve is good. Never doubt, no matter what's happening in your life, that the purpose and the plan of God that you serve is pleasing. Never doubt, no matter what's happening in your life, that the purpose and the plan of God that you are to serve is perfect. It is without flaw and without defect. A better alternate plan does not exist. That'd be a great amen. A better alternative plan does not exist. And look, you know as well as I do, there is no shortage of alternative plans offered by the world. Hear them every day. Plans for fixing things. Plans for changing things. And these plans from powerful people can be very appealing, very alluring. They seem to make logical sense, but they are usually godless. 
So whatever plan is put before you, whatever purpose you are asked to take, your place in fulfilling, you have to ask how this plan serves the purpose of the Lord and the advancement of his kingdom. We've all got to be asking that question all the time. I know that I regularly attempt to encapsulate that purpose with this verse from Habakkuk chapter 2, and I'm going to do it again this morning. Habakkuk 2 verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Again, brief and clear. This is the purpose, God's purpose that we serve, filling the earth, our part of the earth, our time on this earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This is our purpose. And those of us here in this room who have come to a saving faith in Christ, those who through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit are becoming more and more like Christ, we are to fill this earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Most beautifully displayed for us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the purpose that you and I are to serve. Any plan that does not have the glory of God at its very center, if it does not exalt Christ and build His kingdom, it's not the right plan. And you can't compartmentalize. That doesn't apply to my work. That doesn't apply. Yeah, it does. It applies everywhere in your life. Moses was a servant of the glorious plan of God. And this is how God brings about His good purpose on earth. Through people like you and me who acknowledge the the goodness and the perfection of his plan and we serve it. And that's why we see the servant theme throughout scripture. The prophets were called servants of the Lord. David was a king, a great king, the greatest king. He's called a servant of the Lord. Because these people found their reason for being. This is why I exist. To serve the Lord. I want to focus on a few passages from Isaiah. There are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah, four different songs. They're called the servant songs. And each song points to the coming Christ and finds its fulfillment in Christ. And I'm going to read from them repetitively because that's the key, the repetition, servant of the Lord over and over. These passages will remind us what God can accomplish through his Servants, Isaiah 42, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. My servant will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. My servant will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he listen to me. And give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant. 
in whom I will be glorified. Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And finally, Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. God intends for a servant to do amazing things. Bring justice to the earth. Not break the bruised reed or snuff out the flickering candle to bring salvation and righteousness to many and of course that servant is Jesus and Matthew makes that connection very clear in chapter 12 at that time Jesus was filling the earth with the glory of the rightness of the world as God intended it to be his disciples were hungry so he fed them A man had a shriveled hand. And so Jesus healed him and made him whole. Only Jesus did this on a Sabbath, which angered the Pharisees, who, interestingly enough, did not serve the Lord, but instead their own purpose for their own glory. And so they plotted to kill Jesus for doing what was good and right. And so Matthew writes, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And Matthew quotes the passage from Isaiah. Jesus is the servant of God about whom Isaiah speaks. He came to earth to serve the plan of God. We read it this morning, the prayer of confession, words of assurance. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How glad are you that Jesus came to serve? Jesus said this after two of the disciples who were very closest to him, James and John, sought a position from Jesus that would allow them to be served instead of seeking a position that would allow them to serve others. And so they came to Jesus and they asked, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now there's a better way to phrase that, right? What would have been the better thing to say? A servant's question would have been different. It would have been, Teacher, we want to do for you whatever you ask of us, right? Is that not a better question? But that's not what they asked. 
But Jesus indulged their wrong thinking and their out-of-position request. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. All right, Jesus, your number one position in the middle when you come to your kingdom. Now, we want positions two and three, one at your right and one at your left. Well, when the other disciples heard about this request, they were indignant. Probably only because James and John asked first. And so Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus' argument is a fortiori, right? It's from the greatest to the lesser. If Jesus, who is God incarnate, came to serve, how much more should the apostles, who are less than God incarnate, serve? And if the apostles of Jesus, who are called by him and given a position of power and authority, if they are to serve, how much more should those of lesser power and authority serve? And so the reasoning goes, we are all called to serve the purpose of the Lord. And that's why we must repeat servant of the Lord over and over again. It's brief and it brings the clarity we need to order our lives. Jesus is serving the purpose of God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A search and rescue mission. And Jesus is still on it. This is what brings glory to God. Jesus came to serve that purpose. And so as we watch Jesus serve, we should be repositioned before the glorious and the majestic plan of the Father. We're reminded that it is Him and His purpose that we are to serve. So we got to serve. We have to serve one another. And we have to serve this city for Jesus' sake. And here's what I know to be true. Absolutely true. If we will serve this city, if we will serve the purpose of God in this city, God will change this city through us. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You know, last week I wasn't here. I was at the Global Missions Conference of the PCA in Dallas. Happens every three years. And you never leave a conference like that, you know, unchanged. Every plenary session put before us the staggering statistics of the great need for the gospel all around the world. A world that needs to be served for Jesus' sake. There were 95 breakout sessions. 95. Guess how many you got to choose? Five. It's all the time there was. And each one of those sessions put before us the need of the people of an individual country represented. The need for servants of Jesus abounds around the world. And so we're called to serve. 
I'm just saying what we do here at Redeemer must be just that. It can never, ever, Lord forbid, that it ever become about entertaining people on a Sunday morning. People who already have so much. In addition to all the other comforts of their lives, they also have a church that they enjoy attending when Clemson isn't playing. And somehow it meets their needs. None of us should be interested in that as a goal for Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It isn't remarkable in any way. And it won't be satisfying. And it definitely isn't tombstone worthy. But serving Jesus is. And so we gather as a family on mission together to worship God. And through worship, we see the glory of Jesus. And worship orients us and it positions us under the authority and the great purpose of God which then equips us and encourages us to better serve His glory and the people of this city. If you and I can exit this life with those left behind saying, Craig, a servant, and you don't know Jesus, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will just catch a glimpse, see a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. The glory of this one who is God and yet came To seek and to save that which was lost. And that you will see him to be one who is worth following through faith. To be one who is worth serving. Look one more time at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And that phrase, according to the word of the Lord, literally translated means Moses died at the mouth of the Lord. And the ancient Jewish rabbis like to say of this verse that Moses died by a kiss of the Lord. And so I picture a father kissing his child at the end of the day. Before the child goes to sleep. Good day. Good job. So Moses died in a a moment of holiest joy. In the knowledge and the love of the God that he served. And he crossed over the Jordan. Having served well. May the same be true for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, your truth is clear in your word and you repeat it so often so that we won't miss it. Sometimes we are not eager learners, but throughout your word, Lord, we read of this theme, the servant of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would do what you need to do in each of us through the power of your Spirit to make this the goal and the aim of our life, that we want to give our lives to serve you. 
Lord, for some that might be full-time Christian service. For some, Lord, it might be missions. For others of us, oh Lord, or others here, that's just going to mean working with the gifts you give them in this world. And even in those places, Lord, they are to serve your purpose and your glory. So, Father, I pray that you would give us humble servant hearts, that we would love to serve one another, and that we would be eager to get out and serve this city for Jesus' sake. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.